2: Inside information on your teams, honest opinion, and the biggest names in sports. It's time, Las Vegas, for the Playmakers.
3: Final hour of Do You Want to Talk About It Radio? <laughs> Welcome to the playmakers, Lindsay Brown, Adrian Hernandez. It's what we do. Yes, we are here to mostly bring our suffering to everyone else's ear holes and work through it.
4: Hold on, Lindsay. This is an audio medium. I look over the glass. Yeah. I'm looking at you. You can't just put the snuggie on.
3: How did you not notice me putting
4: it on? <laughs> you, it's it's a different level of swag.
3: Yeah, yeah. You and I do. I think we run at the same. Pace, but I don't know if we're on the same path always.
4: You know what I mean? That's a good way to once again Yoda. Lindsay Yoda Brown. Yeah. Once I slow
3: down enough, believe it or not, a lot of sense starts coming out of my mouth. And that's the ultimate uh lesson for for all of us. And kind of alludes to our conversation earlier in the show, which is podcastable. Or if you're not feeling the podcast, that rewind feature that's on that Odyssey app, which is for free on the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Um, we were talking about pressure to perform and how that kind of psychologically impacts you and how that can not only take you out of your pacing, it could take you out of your path, it could take you out of your orbit, and it can make you into a completely different person than you actually are. And so ultimately, our little exercises in intimacy and sharing of stories uh, get us closer to the comfortability part. And I'm glad that we're progressing down that road, even if it's Around the world of sports, right? Yeah, it's like, a good way to, to to talk through life's problems and our issues and stuff. It makes it less scary.
4: And you know, and it, just like we were talking about, you got to be open with with certain things. Like it's always good to be open, um, and it's definitely helpful and
3: open I'm, and unrehearsed because yeah. that's the thing I struggle with too. Because I got tons of stuff that I share that is super personal. I've just made it into a joke, so it's perfectly packaged.
4: Ah, uh, I see ah. what you're saying. Well, it, it's it's one of those tough things where, like, you know, we want to be as I feel like if, if you're going to be on the radio, yeah, you got to be as transparent as possible, but you got to do it. You got to do it. Like it's it's tough. A and a line. I understand. Yeah, there's a line. Well, and but... you,
3: like you earlier in the show, you're like line. I'm like perfect. Now I know where the line is, and now we know. But ultimately, we're here to just talk through the abyss, through meaning that we only give life. Uh, with each and every one of you. And we appreciate you guys hanging with us as we do so. Footies of Footballs here on the dock at our interview with Ryan McDonough in about 15 minutes or so. And then for the last segment, I mean, we have plans, but I might just let this whole thing go regardless. So let's get into our Footies of Footballs. Ah, I promise I'm not leaving you. I promise we are committed for forever, except I'm going to erase all evidence that we've been together and then move on.
4: Wow. Wow. I can't believe, I can't believe a professional sports team is beefing with a professional athlete.
3: Beefing or thirsting?
4: No, I think it's beef. At this point, it's beef with someone on their team on Instagram, like a like a straight just Instagram beef. Is this going to expand to TikTok or or Twitter? Who or, knows? Are they going to bring back MySpace? We're talking about Kyler Murray, um, so. Earlier, earlier in the week, we hinted at Kyler Murray removing any sorts of, of all picture pictures with a Cardinals logo. Even, even at the Pro Bowl picture he posted, it was the 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 helmet was facing opposite, so you can see the Cardinals logo, and he only mm-hmm. had two pictures up. And then the Cardinals deleted every picture involving uh, Kyler except two. So now. We're in the and age. And one of is the
3: same picture that he posted.
4: Yeah. Oh, really?
3: Yeah, if you look at it, it, one of them's that Pro Bowl picture. And then in Kyler's post, it's, he has the Pro Bowl picture and then a picture of him holding a football in an Oklahoma Sooners jersey. And then in the Cardinals one, it is the Pro Bowl picture and then Kyler holding up his number one draft jersey at the, at the event a couple of years ago. So I don't think it's a beef. I think it's a thirst because clearly Kyler stands for something. And we're not trying to deviate him away from what he wants. We just want to make sure that he knows, that we hear him, that we see him, that we miss him, and that we get the bit. And so we copy, but not quite. I don't but, think there's beef. But, I think there's negotiations going on, but I think this, this social media post, because if you just think about it from a front office standpoint, and what if you're going ongoing negotiations and your, and your social media team does this without permission— no chance. No, it's not exact. And so this is for sure a plan. It's a plan thing for them, or it's a tactic to basically just say, "Hey, baby, we see you. But I still love you."
4: Let me let me ask. Let me let me throw out this perspective because you say thirst by copying him and doing essentially what Kyler did is it not a troll?
3: Troll and thirst are two very similar things. True. There's a bridge over uh, the river, anyway. Sometimes you get dehydrated, but when a
4: foot is. One foot's out the door. Is
3: it, though? Because all we're talking about is him deleting Instagram
4: posts. I think the suitcase is – yeah, but I, I think in this day and age, for him to do all of it and kind of basically clean, cleanse his Instagram and have no – I think it's possible. Maybe he's
3: just clean cleansing his Instagram for this for his third season. Not all of us use Instagram as a linear time thing either. Like, it, it, it could – I'm following the same mindset that you are. I think that this signals something – I just don't think it's nearly as contentious as you're uh, surmising it to be yet. Now, if things continue, if he keeps kind of putting these barbs out there, absolutely. But he's clearly trying to evoke an emotion or an action from this club in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's been communicated to the Cardinals yet, we don't know. They're not going to tell us. But the Cardinals know, and we all know, that even if somebody's not coming to us looking for answers, they just want to be heard. I hear you, and I see you. That's it.
4: And I really, I kind of want to talk. We don't have to do it now. No, don't go. Let's talk about it. No, about him and do you want him on the Raiders? But I just want to, not even just on the Raiders, point blank, period. Do you want to pay Kyler Murray $45 million a year Hmm. or around that? Because that's that's where the money's at for quarterbacks. This is a
3: case study. This is a case study for next week. This is a case study for next week because – He's one of those guys that hasn't quite done enough to garner said paycheck. But if you don't pay him that and you let him go, right? And yeah, but so, he's also
4: and, flirted with baseball, too. Right. That's the other thing.
3: That's what I mean. He's a very interesting case case study and leverage point. So I, I would like to table that until next week and, and have some more time to think and chew upon that. That's well, a very good thing to bring forth. Well then,
4: well, then this means we need to get to Super Sunday.
3: What? The biggest of Sundays.
4: So obviously, uh, radio it, you know, people wondering we can't. Um, we're not allowed sometimes not to. We say. can't talk
3: about the cocoa pebbles and the the cereal bowls that I put them in and how super they are, and then put them in sequential order and use them as we are talking because they will sue us.
4: So we don't wanna,
3: have nothing better to we, do.
4: We don't. We don't want to. We don't want to get sued and and we've we've said big game. But let's kind of break down and find out what's what's the best way to call this thing. Uh, Do you like The Game of Games?
3: The Game of Games. Or? It's a little redundant.
4: (laughs) The Battle of the Pigskin?
3: Seems dirty.
4: Ooh. Puppy Bowl Post Game Show?
3: Puppy Bowl Post Gamer? No, that's not doing it for me.
4: How about Football Con?
3: Football Con. Now we're getting warmer. I like that better.
4: How about Sunday, Sunday, Sunday? No. How about Gambler's Delight?
3: Eh, football is bigger than gambling sports is bigger than gambling let's not give them everything
4: alternative sbnames.com you guys are kind of slacking uh what is this men in tights
3: men in t- <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> not- <laughs> the robin hood film
4: <laughs> great movie yeah great uh, movie the rice bowl the rice bowl oh mm. uh, mm. i don't like
3: that one that much either how about
4: waiting for halftime yeah yeah. I'm, yeah, we're not rocking with that one. Not really. We need to get the ert button. Uh the last game until September.
3: There's my ert button.
4: The two week wait. Super duper Sunday?
3: All right.
4: The Football World Series. No, I'm not rocking with these. Yo, uh, alternative big game names dot com. Uh this Do is better. this is a fail. Uh Super Sunday though.
3: Yeah, that's better.
4: Super Sunday? That's better.
3: At least it's alliterative too. Okay. Like alliteration, not redundancy.
4: We've really, every every facet of this game, we have broken down.
3: Yeah, ad nauseum.
4: And it, it, it's been a two week wait. And it, it, we're 72 hours away from the game. Lindsay. Yeah. It's time for me to do something. Uh oh. I'm just dancing. Hey. I ain't think about nothing too controversial. Oh. We just dancing. Hey. We do think about nothing? Into controversial. And I know I'm supposed to say the thing and then play it, but I'm trying to brace myself. I'm trying to, to, to get this all together because this is something that I don't want to do. I don't want to be that guy because Joe Burrow is a Buckeye. But I, I've had enough. I, I'm tired. What? Okay? I'm tired. What? J- Joe Burrow is so humble. What a leader. He started from nothing. His dad was a prominent high school and college coach. He doesn't have to be charismatic. His brothers played at Nebraska. He loves Kid Cuddy. Oh, googly moogly. What yeah, at least I, they believe uh, in uh, him. They believe. JB9. Joe Cool. Look at his coat. I'm tired, yo. I'm tired of that. I go on Instagram. I'm just trying to, you know, go on Instagram and look at some booties. And Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report posts Joe Burrow accepting the comeback player of the year award. Did you see him say his speech?
3: No. So what
4: happened was is he said his speech and then he went to go sit back down. Yeah. He just honestly forgot to pick up the trophy because it was in front of the microphone. Yeah. What does Bleacher Report Bleacher Report post? Joe Burrow left his award on the table. He has his eyes on something bigger this oh, weekend. Oh my god. My guy, he just forgot, okay? And then I go on Twitter. And ESPN, whoever this mattress Matt guy that we talked oh, with, dude, Joe, he
3: it, no, he, we've talked about him a lot on this show. This is the guy that works. He owns a bunch of like mattress stores down in Texas, and he literally takes his plane up to Colorado to the tarmac just to place these bets, and then goes back home. And these bets are always tied up with a deal. Like if he if if the other team wins, you get a deal on the mattresses and stuff. But he put a lot of money down on Cincy, didn't he?
4: Matt, yeah. So he. He, I think he put about 5 mil or 4 mil.
3: Just a casual 5 mil.
4: But I go on ESPN on Twitter, Three and days. I guess yesterday he added 5 million to the Bengals. So his total for the bet is 9 million. It's the biggest big game bet of all what time. What is this?
3: What is this, Drake?
4: Yeah, so if he wins, <laughs> very nice. If he wins, he'll make sixteen point five mil. So I, I go there and I see it, and earlier in the week we didn't even talk about this. Sam Herbert, I want to win this game for Harambe. We're doing it for Harambe. Brilliant. Then, yeah, it's then, brilliant though. Um, that's
3: a that's a callback to for for some people, for a lot of people that goes right over their heads. But five or six years ago, there a kid got into the Cincinnati Zoo, the pen for the gorillas. And then uh, the video of the gorilla just basically trying to check out the kid because the kid's in his environment.
4: These are facts.
3: But they ended up killing the gorilla, which is ridiculous. So There's he wants to win thing. it for him. Yeah, we're going to win it for Harambe. Yeah,
4: thanks for taking us back five years, Sam yeah. Hubbard. And then the Bengals tight end, Mr. C.J. Uzma. At the pep rally taking off his his little, what what's the knee brace? You know what I mean? Throwing it in the sky. I will be at WrestleMania this weekend for the WWE title. Cutting nice. the promo that he's going to play. Up. Yeah, so he says if the Bengals win the Super Bowl, I'm going to dive into a pool of Skyline Chili and eat my way out chili is disgusting my guy stop talking about this like it's how cool. dare
3: you bring the chili slander to this Bro. program listen Bro.
4: i've had diarrhea all week that's what thank chili, you for sharing that's what chili looks like all right so like you're some sort of special like i'm sick of you guys since when is the team from hollywood filled with all these stars Why are they the ones that at their pep rally only have 500 people showing up to their games? Why are all these games in L.A. like empty or with other teams? Why are the 49ers invading them and they get no fan support? Why is L.A. treating the Rams and even the Chargers, if we want to get specific, like they're the 15th option of entertainment? I truly don't get it. I don't like it. I've had enough. You you
3: secretly love it though you secretly love it because you're a ma- you're a sports sensitive. masochist you are because what does that mean uh, that's no, a smart exactly. word thank you um, <laughs> I'll tell you because ultimately all this all these feelings that you're having are totally natural Adrian they're totally natural at this age
4: a Mac a Macus no Mac- the
3: one that got away Joe Burrow you talk about all time with being a Browns fan yeah you guys have picked in the same spot, have been in the the basement, and they're rising quicker than you ever thought. You didn't think that once you broke up or once you let that one get away that they were going to rise. They didn't just find someone better. They became better themselves. And it's okay to feel irked by that. I mean, Joe Burrow has been completely shoved down everything last couple weeks. And so, again, those feelings that you have on the inside are totally natural because ultimately
4: – An extra therapy session this week. Is yeah, plus I mean, for this, me.
3: that's what the Playmakers are and is. It's it's sports therapy in a, in a way. Um, because it, could you imagine if this were the Browns, the Ascension? <laughs> you, I'm like, this is what's happening for Cincinnati? Are you kidding me? I can get it. I get it. And so that's why I hope that the Bengals win. <laughs> Because then at least we will get it out of the system. Like Then you know that that's what, it's there. It's the narrative of, will Joe Burrow get back and the greatness won't suck up everything? But, man, things have escalated very quickly when it comes to the southeastern Ohio area, whether that's because of the Cavs trade deadline stuff or Joe Burrow literally single-handedly saving the cigar industry. It is a hot time to be in the battleground state of the Buckeyes. On the other side of the break, we talked to Ryan McDonough about the NBA trade deadline and all those great pieces that the Cavs have added. Lots of great things to get into. As always, on the Playmakers, 1140 The Bet. We'll be back.
2: You found the Playmakers. Only on 1140 The Bet. Lost hey, it's Vegas. the Playmakers,
4: Adrian Hernandez, alongside Lindsey Brown. And the trade deadline chaos is complete and we need to check in on the line is Odyssey NBA insider Ryan McDonough. Insider calls are brought to you by driveway.com. Looking for a car? Go to driveway.com where you can get pre-qualified, buy a car, and get it delivered.
3: Ryan, so excited to have you back on the show. Maybe it's just because I usually inhibit hockey arenas versus basketball ones, but but was yesterday's trade deadline super eventful? <laughs> More than it
2: usual. It was wild. Yeah, it was a wild couple days. I was fortunate enough to be covering it live for NBA TV from Atlanta, so uh, late on Wednesday night, we were watching the Lakers, and I, I thought they were the team that probably needed to make a move the most. Obviously, they were not able to pull off a deal before the deadline, but uh, certainly things got ratcheted up yesterday when the deal, about an hour and a half before the deadline, went down with the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, yeah, so it was certainly eventful. There were deals big and small, and you know it really was kind of a week-long thing, guys, starting on Monday. Uh, not everybody waited until the last minute. A few deals got done. Uh, you know, a few days before, like with C.J. McCollum and others. So uh, certainly a busy week. And I think, we'll, you know, we'll see if it impacts the landscape of the, uh, you know, NBA championship picture. But uh, certainly Philadelphia and Brooklyn feel good about the moves they made coming out of it. And uh, personally, I'd love to see those two teams meet in the playoffs.
3: A little drip, drip, drop scenario in terms of news nuggets in the basketball world, but you're a true professional, Ryan, and that's why you have led us straight to the biggest trade and where we're going to start our big part of our conversation, which is that Brooklyn Nets, Philadelphia 76ers trade. I don't really think Brooklyn have been considered contenders this season. Once Kyrie made his decision, that kind of took them out of serious running in my book, but what about yours? And what does this offense look like now uh, once Durant returns?
2: Well, the offense looks really good, Lindsay. And in fact, I, I love it from an offensive perspective uh, for, for the team and especially for Ben Simmons individually. Think of all the shooting and spacing the Brooklyn Nets will have around Ben Simmons. That's been a weakness of Simmons. I think that was one of the biggest issues, guys, in Philadelphia. Offensively, when Ben Simmons played alongside Joel Embiid, they play in the same space. They play in the paint around the basket. Uh, Neither one of them, especially Simmons, is not a good floor spacer shooter. So um, to open up that space in the lane, uh, think of the shooters Brooklyn has around the perimeter uh, when they're healthy. They have, in my account, five elite shooters, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, Patty Mills, and now Seth Curry, who they also got in the trade yesterday alongside Simmons. That's a lot of offensive firepower. We'll see if they defend well enough, guys. But I have no doubt that on the offensive end, they'll have as much, if not more, firepower than any team in the league.
4: Uh, Ryan, you mentioned you guys being on NBA TV as the deadline was happening. Uh, I was tuned in. You guys did great. Uh, something that you said kind of surprised me with the fact that with James Harden now in Philly, the expectation is that he's going to sign possibly one of the biggest contracts in NBA history. If that does happen, uh, and I believe you mentioned five years, $270 million, uh, that would go into effect at year 34 for James Harden. This is a guy that's played over 32,000 minutes in the NBA and obviously has forced himself out of two organizations in two years Is that not a little crazy to go all in? And I understand the relationship with Daryl Morey, but is that not nuts?
2: It it is crazy. I mean, the numbers are astronomical. If it is signed this offseason, you're right. It's a five-year, $270 million deal. Uh, Now, that's if he gets the the max max. And what I mean by max max is, you know, max dollars and max years. So that would be a five-year max salary with 8% raises, which is the most he can get. But yeah, to to your point, uh, in the 2026-27 season, when James Harden is in his late 30s, he would be making north of $61 million that year for one year. I mean, that's um, where the salary cap is going. So um, I think in the short term, the calculation for Philadelphia is this is a short-term play. They have Mm -hmm. Joel Embiid, an MVP candidate, if not the front runner for the MVP, who's Certainly keeping their team, uh, kept their team, excuse me, afloat, and then toward the top of the Eastern Conference with Simmons playing zero games in a 76ers uniform. Now you add in Harden. Um, It'll be very interesting to see how those pieces fit together, guys, because I think Harden will have to play different than he's played throughout his career. He'll need to play more off the ball. He'll need to get rid of the ball quicker. And I hope James realizes that the offense can and probably should run through Joel Embiid. Uh, but, yes, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating case study. Uh, I think in the short term, you know, if, if Harden and Embiid click, there's a ton of upside, but certainly there's a ton of downside risk uh, down the line when you're talking about paying a guy north of 55 or $60 million as he approaches his late 30s.
3: Philadelphia 76ers taking a page out of the Golden Knights book by going all in now and asking questions and dealing with the consequences later. Uh, yesterday, Chris Stapp's Porzingis poor was traded away from the Dallas Mavericks, and that wasn't really a deal that a lot of people had uh, hypothesized, but I think Luka dropping 51 last night looks more like uh, inspiration than coincidence to me. Where do you fall on that?
2: Well, I think the pairing just didn't work. Rate. Lindsay, a lot of that was due to the injuries to Chris Porzingus Porzingis when the Mavericks traded for him. They hoped he would be a second star, you know, good enough to be one of the top two players on a championship team along with Luca. And uh, Porzingis was out of the lineup a lot. I mean, if you look at his recent history over the past five or so years, he's missed about 25 or 30 games every single year. So the, the durability was a real question. Uh, Porzingis is still relatively young. He's 26 years old. He should be in his prime. But uh, when you're paying a guy the max and, and you're not sure if he's going to hold up physically, um, and you know, when he is healthy, the fit is okay. I mean, uh, certainly Porzingis benefited from Luka's shot creation, and um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a pretty dynamic was a pretty dynamic offensive combination with the floor spacing and shooting from Porzingis when uh, Porzingis was healthy and they played together. But um, when you're paying a guy the max, you, you expect max level production. Dallas felt like they were not getting that for Porzingis. So they bring in another ball handler in Spencer Dinwiddie, which I, I think was a need because Luca and Jalen Brunson have to do so much for that Ravs team. And I think another part of their calculation was Davis Bertans, who shot the ball very well a couple years ago in Washington, but it's not shot it as well since he got the big contract from the Wizards, that he will replace some of that floor spacing and shooting uh, that they got from Porzingis. Certainly, Bertans is not the rim protector that Porzingis is, but if he can replace some of the shooting and then they get more playmaking from Dinwiddie, uh, I think that was the Mavs' thought process. And uh, more than anything, it gave them some flexibility, especially if they think Porzingis is going to break down and not be healthy toward the end of that contract. When
4: you look at a big-picture view of the NBA, and it's something we've talked about um, these past couple weeks, You look at the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Miami Heat, the Memphis Grizzlies, where, you know, with Miami you have Jimmy Butler, even though he's been injured. With Memphis you have John Morant. Morant. But it's a system. It's a team with depth as opposed to all these teams chasing the big three. Uh, From a front office perspective around the league, is it shifting where we don't necessarily need a big three, but we need one or two stars and just make the rest of the roster being filled with talent?
2: That's a very good point and a good question because if you look at the history of in season trade acquisitions, trade deadline acquisitions, and how they've impacted the current season usually they don't move the needle as far as the championship picture. Now, obviously, we'll see what happens with the Brooklyn Nets and Philadelphia 76ers this year, but usually the teams who win the championship were already some of the best teams in the league at the trade deadline. And looking at Phoenix, they made a few minor moves to upgrade their depth, bringing in Torrey Craig and Aaron Holiday, but those guys are not top seven or eight players for them. They're kind of break glass in case of emergency guys. Golden State didn't make any moves yesterday, and then Miami, who you mentioned, the top team in the Eastern Conference, despite injury up and down the roster, including to their best players like Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, they did not make a significant move. So, yeah, usually that's the way it goes. The the top teams hold Pat, uh, maybe make a minor move to bolster their depth like Phoenix did, Uh, but really then, then look at the buyout market to see if they can add a player in Miami's case, maybe like on Dragic around the periphery. Um, but, but that's generally who wins the championship is the teams that were already good and maybe made slight tweaks or additions to the deadlines, not the teams that had massive in-season overhauls. Because think of it, guys, if you do that, you don't have the experience through training camp in the preseason and the first 50-plus games of the regular season. So it's very hard to adjust on the fly and put it together at a high level with only a few months left in the regular season.
3: Just to build off of Adrian's question as we're talking about super teams and just roster construction, who are the biggest innocent bystanders or victims of the shortened sh- shelf life that comes with the league moving towards uh, the big three? And now we're seeing that change a little bit. But w- reciprocally, who's been given too much time and possibly taken away from a better p- alternative option?
2: Uh, are you asking in terms of teams, Lindsay? Like which team has maybe hurt themselves by going that route? Yeah, that yeah, kind of Let's the... let,
3: yeah, Exactly.
2: Uh, Yeah, well, so I I think in Brooklyn, I mean, you look at Brooklyn and what they've given up uh, and where they are now, um, we'll see how it works out. Obviously, they made the trade, you know, just about 24 hours ago with Philadelphia, and Ben Simmons has not played a game yet, nor has – uh, Seth Curry or Andre Drummond. But, um, you know, if you look at Brooklyn a few years ago, what with Sean Marks in the front office and Kenny Atkinson on the sideline, what they did was really built something from, from not much. I mean, the previous administration uh, made the really difficult trade, uh, the all-in trade with the Boston Celtics to bring in Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. And uh, infamously, it did not work out. And uh, as a result of that, Boston got uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with the picks they got from Brooklyn. But despite all that, Marks and Atkinson built a, a competitive team Uh, They they had some real player development successes like Spencer Dinwiddie, who we just discussed, uh, Jared Allen and Karis LeVert. Ironically, guys, one of the things that I don't think enough people are talking about that would have seemed impossible 13 months ago is I think the biggest winner of the deal between the Houston Rockets and Brooklyn Nets when James Harden went from Houston to Brooklyn 13 months ago was Say the Cleveland Cavaliers. Say the it. Oh, let's down go. Down yeah. Let's Florida, go, Ryan. I don't think many people would have called that, but but that's the way it's worked out so far. So uh, we'll see how it goes in Brooklyn. Part of the deal yesterday was getting a few picks from Philadelphia back to try to recoup some of what they gave up to get James Harden. But certainly uh, in, in the short term, uh, Brooklyn looked like they were going to be on the upswing first with the young talent and then with the superstars and, uh, you know, they've lost 10 games in a row, and as we sit here today, they would be a play-in team who's slightly above five hundred.
4: Ryan, uh, sorry to interrupt, Joe. you were saying that. I know this is our first time talking. It wasn't an
3: interruption. That was an elation right yes,
4: there. Yes, I'm, I'm from Cleveland, so so thank you for saying that. Um, and this next question, look, I, I don't want to be, be ignorant, and, and I realize the Lakers' position where they don't have that many assets to make any moves, but when you talk about LeBron in 2018, you talk about Colby Altman, he traded practically – the entire roster, to make sure LeBron can make it to the finals. Uh, With Rob Palenka not doing anything this trade deadline, is it fair to say that he's failed LeBron and Anthony Davis by not doing anything?
2: Well, I don't think that's entirely fair because it certainly seems from afar that LeBron has been very involved in the decision-making process along with Rich Paul, his agent from Clutch, who also represents Anthony Davis and Talon Horton Tucker and a lot of guys on that Lakers roster. So uh, I think that would be more fair. If, uh, Adrian, if, you know, LeBron James was just had no input and Rob Palenka did all this on his own, uh, that does not seem to be the case. In fact, if you go back and read some of the articles from the best reporters in the NBA last offseason, it seemed like Palenka and the Lakers front office were leaning toward doing a deal um, with the Sacramento Kings. Uh, to try to bring in Buddy Heald. Uh, you remember they had some, some pieces, Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Montres Harrell to play with at that point. Uh, it seemed like LeBron got involved late and, and shifted toward Westbrook, and, and that's been a disaster. So uh, it doesn't look good for anybody involved. Obviously, Palenka at the GM bears the brunt of it that's what happens when you're in that chair but uh certainly it seems like lebron and his group have had some some input and influence and uh really guys the two things that limited lakers were um nobody thinks westbrook is worth 44 million this year and 47 next year so there was no market there and then uh tail and horton tucker the one young piece they have on the roster has underperformed so far um so the value for horton tucker wasn't there and Again, another team uh, going all-in who owes you know a bunch of picks and pick swaps. Uh, the Lakers owe those to the New Orleans Pelicans because of the Anthony Davis deal. That's how they got L- AD to LA in the first place. Um, they just didn't have any assets. And talking to teams around the league, they weren't buying what the Lakers were selling, and now the Lakers are in a very difficult spot. Uh, they have an older team that hasn't meshed well, and the trade deadline's come and gone. And I don't see even a silver bullet coming in the buyout market, guys. Frankly, I'm not sure they'll be in the mix for the top players in the buyout market, given that they're a play-in team. And usually the who get bought out want to go to a championship contender.
3: Yeah, that was one thing that was actually a silver lining when it comes to going through the pandemic and everything is that that buyout market or just guys on the street. It was peppered with people that were really good, like the Rondos and the Dwight Howards and stuff, but they're already on rosters this year, and not every roster has to be improved because they have so much darn talent. I wouldn't put the Lakers in that, but the Wolves, though, Ryan, I don't know if you've noticed, but they've been more than respectable this season. They were quite around the deadline, which I kind of love because I'd rather see this roster ferment and hopefully bloom a better garden in the future. Where are you at with this squad?
2: Oh, I've noticed, Lindsay. I've noticed oh, your wolves. Like They're frisky. Uh, seven and three in their last ten games. They're good offensively. I don't have any doubt they have enough offensive firepower with Carl Anthony Towns, one of the most dynamic offensive big men in the league, and then Anthony Edwards, an emerging star. Uh, Edwards has struggled a little bit offensively lately with his efficiency, but uh, still, this, this is a good team, and they were a team who was active. They were a team who looked at Ben Simmons and tried to get in the Simmons mix. Uh, the challenge, guys, was Minnesota did not want to trade uh, and was not willing to trade Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Edwards for Ben Simmons, and, and because of that, uh, they fell short of other teams' offers like, obviously, Brooklyn's, where Simmons ultimately ended up. But, um, you know, they've, they've continued to try to upgrade the team, and I think there's a real opportunity there because, for me, the middle to bottom part of the Western Conference is weaker than it has been in years. Uh, so Minnesota currently sits in seventh. Uh, obviously, they'd love to get in the top six and avoid the play-in, but uh, either way, they're, they have a great opportunity in front of them. I think, at a minimum, they will be in the play-in and try to you know win a game or two to get themselves in the final eight, which would be a big step for a young Timberwolves team.
4: And, and you talk about the play-in, and specifically in the Western Conference. Uh, I kind of want to lean in on your experience with this question about the Pelicans, because, yes, uh, they've improved this season. Obviously, they made the trade for C.J. McCollum. The hope is Brandon Ingram, C.J. McCollum, hopefully Zion. In a one-game situation in a play-in, that seems scary. But at the end of the day, although they're the 10th seed, they're 22-33. and 33. Well, What's the balancing act of – being like is it better to get a better draft pick and get some assets or just try to get this experience because at the end of the day it's still 22 and 33
2: yeah it all depends on where you are organizationally in your in your timeline and frankly how patient or impatient ownership is is willing to be. And, and, and the business side, that all does come into play. Uh, so I, I think with New Orleans, it's, uh, I believe, the third year the, the front office has been there. Uh, obviously they had the coaching change last offseason with Stan Van Cundy just being there the one year. That certainly didn't work out great. And then with, with Zion not playing any games this year and currently being away from the team uh, to rehab, there's, there's a lot of pressure in New Orleans. So, so I think, um, you know, C.J. McCollum was an aggressive move. Uh, C.J. had some fans around the league, but other teams were concerned about his contract. He's making a north of 30 million dollars a year. So, um, you know, for New Orleans, they want to be aggressive. I think they, they do want to get into the play-in, and obviously if you're in the play-in, you have a chance to make the playoffs. Another big piece of it, guys, was I think signaling to everybody, especially Zion Williamson in his camp, that uh, was Zion up for an extension this offseason that they are serious about winning. And so I think uh, part of the calculation was if they can, you know, get into the play-in or hopefully into the playoffs, that shows Zion they're serious. Uh, then he signs the max extension. And then, you know, with CJ McCollum in the backcourt, Brandon Ingram on the wing, and Up front, they have a team that I think they think could be in the top five or six in the West next year when they're fully healthy. We'll see if that works out, but certainly New Orleans and the Sacramento Kings were aggressive, which means uh, that does put some pressure on the Lakers guys uh, to continue to win to stay in the play in. I think they will, but it's not a given uh, with Sacramento bringing in Sabonis and the Pelicans bringing in McCollum.
3: Basketball calculus, no one does it better. The man, the myth, the legend, the McDonough. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy NBA TV schedule to join us today, my friend.
2: Hey, always great to be on with you guys. Enjoy your weekend.
3: You as well. What a weekend in front of us we have. Insider calls are brought to you by driveway.com. headed to driveway.com today to shop more than 25,000 new and used cars in driveways nationwide inventory. And on the other side of the break, well, it's our last few minutes before the weekend. People, you know it's going to be good.
2: adrian hernandez and lindsey brown the playmakers exclusively on 1140 The to bet
3: uh 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 hands up in the air wait a minute like you just don't care ah uh! friday people
4: it's the friday vibes it is uh... the
3: vibes with a z and uh it is our final show or at least weekday show Uh, for this seven-day cycle that we find ourselves on. The hamster wheel will keep turning, but on Sunday for the big game, we are going to be watching it from Circa Las Vegas at Stadium Swim. They have a viewing party that is starting at 11 a.m., Adrian, but our broadcast live from the same place starts at 1 p.m. You can watch the game on a massive 40-foot tall high-definition screen while chilling in one of those six heated pools. I've been in at least two of the pools and have definitely looked at all of the screens I can vouch for each and every single one of them and for all the degrees that Mother Nature will be handing to us on a platter. It's gonna be around mid seventies. So this is the time to
2: Finally. check it
3: out if you haven't already. And if you have, what a great opportunity for you to reintroduce yourself. For more information, visit circolasvegas.com and again catch our show right here live from Circa Sunday starting at one PM as we lead you up to said big game. And We've talked a lot of football this week. We've talked briefly about hockey. I mean, yesterday I mentioned uh, Martin St. Louis being named head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. He's never been a head coach at the professional level before. But some people are exceptions. Some people just get it because their experience has taught them better than really anybody else ever could have have So if that isn't illustrated by this quote that I'm about to share with you guys, I don't know what will.
5: Uh, playing with a little more instinct, uh, with ideas of how, how we want to be as a team. Um, now, there is structure inside concepts. You know, sh- systems, you can say structure. when systems, you box players in into only certain things they can do. And, and, and I, that was probably one of the things that I hated the most as a player is play in a system where I, I was a great player when I was allowed to make reads because the best players make the best reads. But if you take the reads out of the equation, those best players become average. So I want to make sure that I allow my best players to make reads. And I'd rather them make a bad one than not making a read at all. And sometimes in systems, there's not much reads.
3: Guy, I love that quote. I'd rather them make a, the wrong decision than not make one at all. I've heard that exact quote, or at least a uh, paraphrased version of that quote out of my coach's mouth, Kirsten Matthews, who now leads, or at least leads alongside uh, as the member of a Boston University Terriers. And I was just, the the nature of that quote is so loaded with so much nuance that a lot of people don't I think understand because hockey is just such a game of nuance and we're just starting to learn it in, in a lot of ways as a community. I mean, we know what it, what, what goals look like. We know what good play is. We know what offsides is. We're not that we're, we're far past that, but when it comes to how you play and how you teach people to play, I mean, this is a Montreal Canadiens team that beat our Vegas Golden Knights in the playoffs to go to the Stanley cup final. And they have yet to reach double digit wins this season. And that's why Marty let his entire press conference off with talking about how this team needs to have fun, needs to rediscover exactly why they come to the rink every day because it is that bad of an experience. And when he's talking about the players, when you take their reads away that they become average, that is a direct shot across the bow to Cole Caulfield, who Marty was already talking to on the bench last night. And we know that that kid is a special talent. He was scoring goals leading all the way up to our series last year. But this year, he's gone completely quiet. And when you ask people, unicorns, to be conventional, to be horses, you get exact results that we're seeing from Cole Caulfield. You get exact results from the team in general. Because while Nick Suzuki's playing a, a, a great season and had a hell of a time, G- Is it translating to the rest of the team? Somebody has to score goals, right? Yeah. And that Montreal Canadiens team wasn't exactly world beaters when the playoffs rolled around last year, right? And for the large part of their runs through the postseason in the last couple years have been on the fumes of somebody in their locker room's greatness, be that Carey Price or Cole Caulfield. And there's been none of that in that locker room at all. So I think the addition of Martin St. Louis to that locker room is a home run higher. I would play for him right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's the long-term answer there. We'll see how the next few weeks go. He has the interim tag on that position. As we mentioned, he's only been really coaching his kids since he ended his Hall of Fame career about seven years ago or so. But if there's somebody that understands how to exist within a system as that outlier is Saint-Louis. As a short guy, as a Canadian who played uh, college hockey, he I, I think he's the right person to kind of usher in. And I hope that we see more teams reaching out to outside of the normal boys' club. And let me tell you, Marty is definitely part of the boys' club too, but at least he's a new name. At least we haven't seen him in a position like this before.
4: And so. he's fresh. And like you said, mm-hmm. I mean, you can take that – not even in hockey, just in life, that, you know, mm-hmm. the only way you're going to learn is by trying. And I'd rather and have. Yeah, and, and and you you fail to win is, is a quote I heard this morning. I mm-hmm. think Kevin Hart said it. You fail to win, and, and that that's that's a good philosophy, and it's cool. And, and I hope it works out, too, because I, a lot of the times, you know, sometimes superstar players, they can't really relate to why players aren't mm-hmm. as good as they were because to them, like, what do you mean? Like, you just need to do this, and they don't. They they can't explain or teach.
3: And, and just to allude to our, our point earlier, sometimes it's not about teaching or, or anything. It's just about listening and being able to empathize and, and know what that feels like to be a transcendental talent that's kind of lost their way. And, I mean, we all lose our way at some point, right? And so... It's just about finding that magical translator because the messages haven't changed. Hockey calculus doesn't change that much. Pucks deep, 60 minutes, all of that. But what does change is the person and the voice on the inside and your and your confidence levels. And I, I think all of us are, are taking a, a harder look at ourselves and how, how our echo chamber sounds. But it's hard to be mentally hygienic or, or just psychologically hygienic when the world or your world isn't going well. Like it's one thing to do it when everything's fine or even good, but it's another thing when things start going south, then you really get tested. And if you haven't failed before, you won't know what to do. You won't know how to act. You won't know if you fail again, if you're going to just quit everything and, and, and and just spiral. And that's what concerns me about um, a lot of aspects of our society and our behaviors and, our avoidances, because we have the ability to avoid a lot of things that teach us the, the most important lessons for survival. And it's just it's a luxury. We have a lot of luxuries in our lives. It's that's not a, a secret. Um, but when we have examples in sports of when people get ground down all the way and then the infusion of someone different, someone new and someone imaginative
4: and respected it,
3: and respected and respected. You have the initial belief, like what we're feeling right now, and being like, I, I really like this idea. What if it actually starts producing results? Like, what does that do to you? Like, we've all been through that. We were talking about that with the inaugural season with the Golden Knights. Like, we talk about the positive reinforcement. We talked about it earlier in the program. I failed, and my teammates stepped up, and they showed me. It's one thing to say, for them to say, I'm going to be there, but it's another thing for it to happen organically because you went balls to the wall. Failed, and they stepped up. Even if you fail and they step up and you don't go to balls walls. does it feel the same? It doesn't, right? Because yeah. ultimately, you have to trust yourself to go all the way in order for you to trust other people to do the same for you. And so I, I, I think can that also gets lost. Imagine,
4: I can imagine for the players who just having the opportunity now, depending on you know some of the changes that he makes, having that opportunity and that freedom mm-hmm. can open up a lot of things. I mean, yeah. know, talk about football, you can talk about the big game. Like OBJ felt like he was – in a system that he couldn't do anything with the Browns, and he goes to the Rams. And Great
3: comparable. The
4: Rams, again, look look at the success that he's having. So Sometimes it's just the
3: paintbrushes and the lighting. Yeah, 100%. And so uh, and, and we all know that the game of hockey certainly needs as many shakeups as possible and feeding of the creativity. I mean, does anybody else see the league trying to make Trevor Zegers the face of it as quickly as possible?
4: They are, I saw that ESPN 8-minute yeah. video. Who, yeah,
3: exactly. What, what were we saying a few weeks ago with the pass? What does that do? It opens up people's imaginations. I never considered this. What if we try this? This is a game that is so built on systems. Two one, two, four check. F one goes in hard. F two, you stay a little bit back, pick up the puck or the body, depending on who's loose. Then F three, you're crashing down, get the puck to the front, then we score. Sports. There's more to hockey than four check hard and get to the puck get the puck to the front of the net. Like there's so many areas and avenues that have not been explored in this game and we're just starting to breach the tip of it honestly and so with little hirings like this and I don't know maybe a a shred of accountability here and there we didn't even mention the fact that USA Hockey was reported today for their circumnavigation of the safe sport system we'll get more into that on Monday though we didn't want to bring everybody down to close out the week but do your own research people that's what we always say thank you to everyone thank you to Adrian Be well to yourselves, be well to others, use your blinkers, and be safe this weekend. No driving if you're drinking or doing other things. Let's be adults here, people. All right, have a good one. Bye.